Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to Trash and Treasures, where we watch the movies other people throw away. My name is Vry. I'm Vivem. And with me, as always, is Dorothy, whose pronouns are she, her. Hello. And this is our Pride Month celebration week two. Last time we discussed Bride of Frankenstein, firmly during the Code Era, and now we are leaping forward a good 40 years. <laughs> it's a stretch. It's a jump, but you know what? Ugh. We can only cover so much in four installments. Yeah. So in pursuant of our theme of outsider cinema and camp, we have at last come to the thing we have been threatening to do basically since we started doing these Pride Month specials, which is a John Waters film. Yay! Yay! Um, so cards on the table here. John Waters is very important to me, and I think to Vry as well. I do, but I think even more so to you, given that you are from his native land of Baltimore. Yes, I am from Maryland. I grew up watching John Waters films. Not this one. No? Not the one with explicit semi-chubbed cock on screen? I grew up with John Waters being just sort of part of the fabric of where I lived. Even people who are homophobic in Maryland know John Waters. Yeah, he really is a local icon. Yeah, very seriously one of them. And the first time I ever went to Pride, uh, Sean and I saw a float there that was explicitly filth drag themed. You know, it was very seriously devoted to a kind of aesthetic that John Waters very much helped to build in Baltimore. Towards the end of the podcast, we will take a moment to touch on his slide into embarrassing old uncledom. But he is also very much in some ways a patron saint of this podcast as the king of filth, the lord of trash. And Just bad taste. unapologetic and aggressive. So when we were picking these, obviously we wanted to do one of his early period films. Pink Flamingos felt a bit done. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think it's as interesting as Female Trouble. Which is our choice for today. It is 1974, two years after Pink Flamingos. I think it is his best film, certainly his best early period film. Yeah. You could make a case for Hairspray. Or Crybaby, honestly. It is a really good film. I feel like Hairspray is the one that really marries... Hairspray is definitely saying more. Well, and it marries, like, his outsider influences with the most mainstream he ever got. Mm. Yeah. As opposed to his really mainstream stuff like Serial Mom, mm. which I think we'll come back around to as well. And when we talk about Hairspray, Hairspray, the musical, is cute. I will say that. But <laughs> there is only room in my heart for Hairspray the movie. That's very, very reasonable. They're very different entities. So. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I respect John Waters for being the kind of guy who is willing to just take money for that <laughs> all the live long day. Yeah, as he said, every time they license it for a different thing, they give him more money and he has to do less work. I'm like, get it. There was a very specific uh, type of art gay in the late 20th century who shamelessly commercialized because fuck it we're all dying warhol obviously was an example of that but also keith herring like keith herring knew that his celebrity was basically an excuse to 
print money and use it for things that he cared about while he was alive and after he was dead. Yeah, it's interesting because it's so understandable in this context, particularly of a working class type filmmakers like John Waters and and artists during the the AIDS crisis. Because, like you said, everything is so ephemeral. I also think that in hindsight, being a fine thing, you can certainly see how it becomes the fuck you got mine that so many cis white gay men are party to. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of things going on here. And I think that's why we wanted to look at something from this period was because it is so culturally different from what we're living in now. So this is five years after Stonewall. Yes. And John Waters, I don't want to say he is the first, you know, filth artist because that's probably not true. And as always in this period of queer art that has survived, a lot of it is white queer art. Yeah. But I think we can safely say that he is definitely the face of the filth queer art movement. A phrase that a lot of people use to describe his and Divine's, because Divine is so central to this work, but a phrase that a lot of people use to describe it is proto-punk, predicting a lot of things that later became part of the punk movement and aesthetic and inventing a lot of things. For those of you at home who may have heard secondhand, but not be entirely clear on what we mean when we bandy about these terms, Filth as an artistic movement, especially as queer art, is about being as deliberately taboo as possible. You've seen it touched on in a lot of the other uh, stuff we've covered in Drunk Book Club in particular with stuff like uh, Polanyuk and Poppy Z. Bright to an extent. Those are branches of this filth stuff, but they are not core filth art. John Waters' films are very much about looking at queerness as embodied queerness is about fucking and the body and look at the fact that we exist and we're doing this and look at your body which is decaying and pissing and shitting yeah and and look at all of these things that bodies do that are happening in heterosexual cisnormative society that are horrifying like birth look at how horrifying and filthy birth is Mm -hmm. and where where is the division here and he makes comedies because these are horrifying funny things and they're a key part of being alive which is so much of what filth is is embracing the nastiness of human life as opposed to the aestheticism of your sort of crawlmera definitely wild yeah it's not about like the higher spiritual aspects of being queer it's about going as low as you can go and celebrating the fact that you're alive it's like that anthony Oliveira quote all of you killed all the nice gays, so the only people left are the cockroach motherfuckers like me. <laughs> Basically, the fact that it does come out of post Stonewall feels really important because John Waters has never described himself as a political filmmaker, but at the same time, he is so very in it. That is a bit of a difference between him and Divine, I think, because Waters has always been sort of apolitically anarchic. He was not an anarchist activist, but there is an anarchism to his sensibilities. Whereas Divine was involved with the Cockettes and were a proto-punk, communist, politically active drag group. 
Yeah, you really can't talk about John Waters without talking about Divine, who was his primary co-conspirator, the lead in all of his early films. His muse. And we are going to talk about Divine uh, using this, his stage name, but I think using he, him pronouns. Yes. So Divine, the character, we're going to use she, her, mm-hmm. and also Divine's character in the film, Don Davenport. Mm-hmm. There are multiple layers of performance here because this is a performance. And Divine, the character, was also a performance of stardom in many ways. But Divine as a person also saw a fairly firm divide between himself as Glenn <laughs> uh-huh, and Divine, the character. He wasn't a full-timer, as they would have said back then. Yeah. And at the same time, though, many people who knew Glenn and were close to him in his day-to-day life and who knew that he was not transgender by those standards and that he did not even at the time identify as a transvestite he was just a femme a fat femme gay man who was incredible still often to this day will use she her pronouns when talking about him in interviews because that's the way they knew divine and Mm. that's just an example of sort of the way sexuality and gender op operated in in different ways than we necessarily break them down but he also 100 percent was always very clear about and being a man who performs this character and a man who also enjoys pretty things which is also part of what makes waters work complicated i think from a modern perspective you know as we talk about the mainstreaming of drag i think a lot of people think about drag performance younger people in terms of RuPaul being a shithead to trans women. And I don't, I don't want to presume to speak for how trans femme folks should feel about John Waters and Divide. But I do think it is worth noting here up front that this was a guy who takes on a female persona. And that is how he talked about it. Yeah. And, and who started doing drag in the Baltimore scene at drag house parties in the early 60s and it was just part of his life that's just part of who he was and part of how he was a gay man was also being a queen and one of the most amazing queens divine was truly a treasure and the world is poorer with him gone oh so female trouble uh this episode is going to need quite a lot of content warnings i think even to discuss it definitely definitely especially if you look up the film which has a lovely criterion release by the way top tier but it, because it is filth, it deliberately engages with a lot of shocking content, which includes, but is not limited to, sexual assault, intimate partner abuse, parental abuse. There is a lot of child abuse for most of the movie. Divine's 14-year-old daughter character is played by adult actress Mink Stoll, but it is still child abuse that we're seeing even if it has that level of distance to it molestation um violence in general a uh, lot of incest both attempted and implied pedophilia a lot of full frontal nudity uh vulvas and penises in varying states of arousal because fuck you (laughs) and also because zero budget filmmaking you can't stop me from doing this and also a lot of disfigurement ableism classism God damn, this film hates Andy Warhol, and it is amazing. Relatively little fat phobia? Yeah. There's a lot of people who throw around insults 
about Divine's fatness. But it's magnificent. Right, right. It is shot so magnificently. She wears the most wonderful outfits. So this sounds like it's going to be heavy, but this film is also doing that thing that so few films actually do, which is satire. This is camp that is firmly satirical. And it's extremely funny. I think that's what makes it a more honed film than Pink Flamingos is that it's not just throwing all of the weird shit at the wall to see what sticks. It has an idea of where it's going and what it wants to say. Because this is a film about the life and times of a teenage girl named Dawn Davenport, who one day at high school goes home and is just so excited for the one thing she asked for for Christmas, which is a pair of cha-cha heels, which are like, Little fuck-me-pumps. We call them fuck-me-pumps now. (laughs) But her parents get her a different, more practical set of boots. So she runs away from home. She knocks over the Christmas tree. It's really fucking funny. She might might have killed her mother. It's unclear. It is unclear. (laughs) If you have ever watched the, and we're about to show our age here, if you have ever watched the the, uh, video Shoes, spiritually similar. And so having run away from home, she gets picked up by a passing car. Also played by Glenn. Divine We're just doing shot, reverse shot. It's very good. <laughs> Both Divine and Glenn are in this film. So she has a whirlwind sexual affair on a, on a horrible, dirty mattress in a cemetery. That I assume they just found there. I too assume this. Because it looks nasty. <laughs> Union. A lot of cunnilingus. Uh-huh. Which, like, good for her. Yeah. It is... An incredibly awkward sex scene, which is one of the things I enjoy about John Waters. Going back to that idea of filth is that, isn't sex kind of awkward? Isn't everything weird and horrifying if you think about it? (laughs) Have you ever listened to yourself doing dirty talk? That's really awkward, isn't it? (laughs) Bodies mushing against each other. It's funny, right? And it is. But she has a little baby and the father fucks off, not wanting anything to do with her. Yeah, so she becomes... A teen mom. And a working girl, as the interstitials tell us. She has two amazing besties who become burglars with her. She starts out doing street sex work and then realizes that stealing shit is a lot more profitable. And fun. She wears the most incredible clothes. All of the outfits for this movie are just... They vacillate between either completely trashy and magnificent... Or just the absolute worst proto-grunge you've ever seen. We're talking full body mesh dresses with only a bra and panties underneath. Or her lace wedding dress with nothing underneath. Yes. Not lace over a lining. No, no, no. Just lace. Lace. Also, just bush. (laughs) Divine's makeup and costuming really must be praised on that front because... The boobs are realistic, and Glenn was was a bigger guy, so he had, you know, some natural breast tissue, but these were prosthetic, and it looks good. It looks good most of the time, except when, like, jumping on a trampoline, which happens. did all of her own stunts, so. Yeah. Apparently trained to do that stunt at the YMCA, because of course. Of course. So she has a little girl and names her Taffy, and is a horrible, abusive parent. Extremely. Just terrible. They, They have- an infant, an actual infant during the birth scene. It is the youngest child I have ever seen in a film that was not actually a birthing video. 
because they got a friend who came from the hospital with her newborn because it's the 70s. And just this was the last thing they shot here because they were just waiting for her to pop it out. She had agreed. Sure, you can film that. And now it exists on film forever. Yeah. So we see this child being like lifted from between Divine's legs covered in entrails from the butchers. And there is an actual small child for one scene when Taffy's about eight, where they just yell at each other back and forth. Yeah, and just some comedic torture. But then by the time we get into the really dark stuff, it is Mink Stoll playing Taffy because ethics and filmmaking, children. Yeah, it, it actually is quite ethical. Oh, we forgot to specifically say that the ableism includes a lot of the R slur. Oh yeah, there's a lot of R words in here. Boy, howdy are there. Yeah. But Mick Stoll is playing this character in just the most uncomfortable way. They have this woman dressed up in these tiny party dresses that don't even come down to her thighs. And she's constantly sort of pulling on the skirt and worrying it between her palms. Very Very uncomfortable. uncomfortable. (laughs) Great performance. When Taffy's about nine, this magnificent hair salon opens. And they only take the most glamorous of customers. The most important And Dawn manages to get in with her two besties after a very tense interview. It is like a job interview to see whether you can be a client of this salon because it's sort of a tastemaker salon situation. Which is where she meets her future boyfriend. Yes. Gator. The actor who plays Gator, Michael Potter, has the purest and most real Maryland accent I've ever seen on film. This is something that actually matters to me very much because it's one of those accents that frequently people will get dialect coaches for and then just whiff. (laughs) You're really still burned about John Travolta. I am still mad about John Travolta. No, it's fair and reasonable. And I don't even think it's blown out of proportion. It's just very, very funny to me. But like you've heard John Travolta. Uh And now in retrospect, you understand, right? It is comical. (laughs) Yes. But, like, that is a real Maryland accent. And yes, it's it's almost incomprehensible. It's not quite Southern, but it's also a little bit mushy. The history of Maryland that sort of produced that accent is very much entwined with migrations north and south, post-Civil War history, and also World War II history relating to um, the Bethlehem Steel Plant that uh, made Liberty ships. So there was a lot of mobility that went into creating this very odd composite accent. Hmm. So. No, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I just had like, to say about hmm. All of these people are Marylanders, but he has the most intense version of it. And as you might expect from any melodrama, because that's what this is at its heart. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the camp and the satire go round. If you're watching this and you're not just gasping with every turn of events... You're doing it wrong. Yeah, you gotta go. <gasps> because, of course, the second she takes him home and manages to woo him, he's an absolute shit of a boyfriend who is terrible, can't get her off in bed, and is trying to fuck her her daughter. She doesn't really mind that. No, she doesn't care. But like, you know, it's the melodrama. He's a shit boyfriend. He is fucking other women, though. Oh, yes. And that is the true problem. But also there's there's the problem of his grandmother. Who absolutely hates Dawn and does everything at every turn. Because she is the original OG Fujoshi. This actually might be too old of a reference for people now, but you know the X-Men movies, the 2000 ones. 
the have you tried not being a mutant speech? I want you to imagine that in reverse. And that's what makes it so perfect, this entire character. Her entire thing is trying to convince her straight son why To be a gay gay hairstylist. Mm -hmm. She's always trying to hook him up with nice local boys. And again, this is in 1974. It is the most amazing shit. Also, this is a woman who is an elderly woman at the time. She has six teeth. She was just a person that Waters encountered and who used in his movies because she was just wild as hell and was up for filming whatever. But this lady is wearing, like, cat suits that are slit entirely up the side and laced together, armpit to ankle. And it's very good. It's incredible. These people are just walking around. (laughs) She and Dawn have a back and forth montage of bedeviling rivalry of course but at gator's place of business there are the two owners of the salon which are donald and donna dasher who are transparently an andy warhol stand-in oh my god it's vicious and i love it now the actor who plays donald david lockery was actually divine's drag mentor drag mother was responsible for a lot of the early divine looks and things like that. And he has this incredible white dyed hair. And they are just fascinated by Dawn because she's so trashy, you see. And you see, they are so classy. They are in search of a new artistic muse for their violence project. They're fascinated by the concept of beauty and crime and how they entwine. And so they start egging Dawn on to become more and more extreme, wear these new outfits be gay and do crimes Uh essentially except this is all about heterosexuality yes a fine upstanding heterosexual woman these two would call her white trash absolutely Mm -hmm. like they go to her neighborhood and remark upon how dangerous it feels the shockingly dangerous dirty neighborhood in baltimore the rest of the film is essentially dawn's spiral down into disaster they convince her that that they are making her into A famous fashion star, more or less. And they start injecting her with liquid eyeliner. Which will make her more beautiful. Guess what it is? It's clearly heroin. They steal her mother-in-law and lock her up in a birdcage and lop off her arm. You know, just for for funsies. Well, that's because she pulls an acid attack on Dawn. And she disfigures her face, which only makes her more... More beautiful and striking. At one point, Taffy runs away to find her father, which is where we get more of that implied pedophilia and incest. I mean, definite attempted incest. And she stabs him to death, and that's that. Good for you, Taffy. She runs back home, and it's still bad, so she runs away to join the Hare Krishna, which, for you younger folks at home, it was a, a subset that I would be comfortable calling a cult. If any of you are familiar with new religious movements, and I'm betting a lot of you listen to true crime podcasts, this was one of those movements that really sort of swept the U.S. in the hippie and post-hippie years. Yes, if you Google it, the first thing that comes up is the Hare Krishna murders. Swami Bhaktipada, a former leader of the American Hare Krishna movement who built a sprawling golden paradise for his followers in the hills of Appalachia, but who later pleaded guilty to federal racketeering charges that included conspiracy to commit the murders for hire of two devotees, Died on Monday in 2011. So yeah, uh, cult. Yeah, and there were a lot of these cults mm-hmm. in the 70s in the U.S. And so it's 
again, coming back around to that melodrama of, oh, the child of abuse who is drawn tragically into this cult. And then on the eve of her big day of Dawn's big debut, she strangles her own daughter as she's about to go on stage. (gasps) The horror and the angst. She goes out and performs an act of filth, opens fire into the crowd, gets arrested and sentenced to death, makes a run for it and then gets the chair. But is honestly still thanking everyone for uh, supporting her cult of celebrity to the point that she was able to get this award, the highest award in her field of criminality. It's fucking amazing. It's really good. And naturally, our not Warhols immediately disavow her on the stand. The second anything like consequences. Just completely flip. It's so impressive to me that Don Davenport is not a good person. She's a terrible person. And yet it is still this very sad story about the exploitation of the working class by wealthy bullshit artist aesthetes. And just the fact that that these two are just able to keep spinning her up for their own gratification. And I think it is something not unique to John Waters, but something that I think is notable and that a lot of other gay filmmakers kind of divested themselves from in the name of getting under the radar to straight audiences. But the fact that this is a satire of the heteronormative 1950s society but also queerness exists in it there are the gay hairdressers there is the amazingness of the haven't you tried being a nelly speech and the only honestly affecting emotional relationships we ever see dawn have are with the other girls on death row with her girlfriends in prison by far the queer characters are the most empathetic in the film you know there's the women in prison there's that nice young boy who thank god gets away from having to go on a date with gator right before gator you know moves to detroit to seek his fortune in the auto industry this is a heterosexual film in the same way that the doom generation is a heterosexual film it is a bunch of queer artists getting together to perform the parody of heterosexuality in the same way that This is what people talk about when they talk about the movement of drag as a parody of of gender norms. Like just blowing it up to extremes and magnifying specifically all the nasty little things that we don't want to talk about in the name of good and sanctified normative relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very fascinating to see this happening in 1974. Mm. Was that the same year as Boys in the Band? No, Boys in the Band was 1970. Ah, so this was slightly after Boys in the Band. Yeah, because the whole thing with Boys in the Band was... It immediately aged because the Stonewall Riot happened. Right, because the play was before and the movie was after. And all of a sudden we weren't content to be the sad pathos of the, the sad queers. Now we're angry. I find so much compelling about this movie, even as it actively tries and in some way succeeds in being repelling seriously... Seriously, I've never seen so many dicks on screen at one time. And I think that the title is really effective because it is about all of these sort of pressures and problems surrounding just the experience of existing unapologetically as a woman. I will post the opening song. It's so good. Sung by Divine, I believe. It's so good. It's a mood. It's a constant and evergreen mood. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that this is a valuable thing to look at because, especially in American film history, it's this aggressively unfocused but very political piece of art when we look at it. Mm-hmm. it like, it is very much attacking all of these systems that are thought of as inherently decent and exposing all of these sort of twisted contradictions present in them. It's it's really asking questions about what where perversity lies and, and what is wrong. And it's doing it through this melodramatic burlesque of womanhood. So I think it's very valuable and interesting also because of the way it's sort of playing with gender in a way it can't necessarily play with sexuality yet. In some ways, it is very understandably too repellent for a lot of people to want to engage with it. And I sincerely mean that's fine. This is not the kind of art that everyone needs to see, but I feel like it's good that it exists. Yeah, some of my favorite art is very extreme, and I recommend that people not engage with it if they think it'll be too rough for them. Speaking of Iraqi. (laughs) But there's something very warm about it. It is in that tradition of auteur and indie filmmakers who kind of gathered up a crew that worked together on every project. And you can feel that camaraderie in the filmmaking, and it's cool. Yeah, because you can see these people are able to take these kinds of risks artistically in this environment. Especially because it's they had no reason to believe it would actually become anything. Like, this will tour a couple festivals, be an underground film in a few places... And then John Waters became an entrenched public figure. He's honestly still doing better than a lot of people. I don't mean to shit too much on John Waters. I do want him to sit down quietly and not make public statements anymore because he's hitting that age. But I do still have an immense fondness for the man. I just think he's also become this kind of idea of what happens when the outsider filmmaker becomes validated and familiar, you know? Because he is now art icon John Waters. People know him. He does appearances and things. I actually quite enjoyed this sort of 90 minute, not quite stand up kind of storytelling set that he does. This filthy world. It's really interesting. And I personally love uh, the section in his memoir when he talks about the time he got to interview his idol, Little Richard, and had that sort of experience himself. Of meeting this person who was like a guiding star and a queer icon to him growing up and realized that there's just so much insurmountable territory there. Yeah, and I think there's really no better way to chart that sea change and sort of the arguable sell-by date on outsider art, outsider artists maybe, unless they change who they are and what they do, than the fact that Serial Mom is kind of, as you pointed out when we watched it, just a remake of Female Trouble in a new setting. But middle class. Middle class and she gets away with it, which is a huge change in context. Yeah. And I don't think it works. Dawn is a much worse person and I feel for her a lot more. So Serial Mom happened... 1994. Yeah, which I believe was after Divine's death. Yes. And after... Waters had sort of effectively made his leap back into the mainstream. Later on, he did some more unusual outsidery stuff like uh, Cecil B. Demented and, and uh, a, a Dirty Shame, which he 
was cut to ribbons. And was, I believe, the last film he did other than, you know, a nominal credit on the movie musical version of Hairspray. I wouldn't be as surprised if it was quite disheartening for him. Yeah, because no matter what SR-71 says, you couldn't make a John Waters movie today. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Kathleen Turner is, is an icon and I always like to see her in stuff. But Serial Mom is not as good of a movie at all. It's got a glossiness that I just don't think works for the content. And it has... It is doing that lol yuck this is satire thing rather than melodrama. Well, and it is exactly what I mentioned before in that it is... We're doing a satire of heteronormativity, but the gays, where be they? (laughs) Where did they go? There are none. It's just shiny heterosexuality just, polished to such a sheen that you're supposed to assume it's absurd and there's stuff under there but it it's not in evidence it's just boy suburbia as hell isn't it all that social climbing you're right kathleen turner is fun to watch but i just don't think it works as art and i think that losing touch with that artist community is part of that yeah cecil b demented was a much stronger later film from him yeah i think that at least also borrows elements from female trouble specifically the uh the question of fame and art and crime and beauty yeah and I, that film i at least found quite interesting yeah not necessarily a mad rewatcher for me but no but worth watching i think and more of a film than serial mom mm-hmm. and it's just i don't know interesting and a little bit disheartening for me to see john waters try to interact with art as system. Because it feels like without the other artists around him, it's not quite... It feels like he is a legacy figure that we trot out to make sound bites every so often. You know, the last couple of things that I read about him in are these fucking exhausting interviews with right-leaning newspapers that love to go like, and here's a gay... And he says it's okay to say the F word. And he makes all the liberals offended and triggered like those snowflakes they are. And I'm like... There's a context here. Uh huh. Well, and also because John Waters is from that era where it's just like, I'm here and I exist and fuck you. I think he never quite left that. So he's happy to go out and just talk to whoever. And there's a quote from him where he talks to fucking the Breitbart guy. And he's like, you know, you and I are the same. We both draw from this anarchist influence. And I'm like, John, people are dead because of Breitbart news. (sighs) Uncle John, I know you're comfortable now, but please sit down. Yeah. In fairness on this point, I have watched some of his quotes evolve. They're still a little bit extremely out of touch, so please sit down, Uncle John. I love you. But he's Stop def- talking about trans people. You're not one. He's definitely made some comments after Caitlyn Jenner came out to the effect of, you know, well, am I not allowed to, to make fun of her? How am I going to make fun of her if I can't? And the answer is, of course, you make fun of her for being a bad driver, just like all women. <laughs> but <I'm> just- <laughs> you know, for the murder on her record. <laughs> For the person she fucking killed with a car. He is such a smart and an influential figure and somebody whose work I genuinely admire. And I want him to let me continue doing that. (laughs) He hasn't made the turn that some artists I used to admire have. But, But I feel like it is sort of that similar arc. Like with Kevin Smith, where it's just not interesting anymore. I mean, very similar to Smith in terms of like, you used to run with this small team of artists and you had these general themes that you wanted to address in your small town 
and the character that came out of that well you know what i mean yeah but and then as you entangled more with the studio system those things that were interesting about your art kind of got lost over time yeah and i was i I do respect smith for trying to do other things before he uh took to just quote treating randos who don't like his movie but yeah i think there is that similar thing of once you reach a certain level of impact and reach as an indie filmmaker you're not indie anymore and you can't talk like you're indie and that's something that i think it is hard for artists of a certain generation to deal with because like they can't process that they're not indie anymore partly because as a gay guy who grew up in baltimore in you know the 50s it's kind of unfathomable to him probably yeah i'm sure he lived through as mainstream so much shit yeah and now he's the friendly uncle with the weird mustache i'm sure it must be weird yeah like you don't seriously mean that i'm acceptable i'm john waters i'm john waters i like filth I go on to talk shows and I talk about squelching, which isn't a real thing. <laughs> Splotching. <laughs> Excuse me. And probably is. Probably at that point. I'm 100% certain that people fuck food. They just maybe don't call it splotching. If it wasn't a thing before, somebody took it as a challenge after he said that. But I don't know. It's one of those things that I don't even have an answer for as I sit here pondering. What do we do with somebody whose body of work can arguably be considered finished as far as what it did for the movement, but is still doing stuff? Yeah, and I I think that we don't necessarily have to have an answer to that, but I think it's really valuable to watch things like this sometimes and to just really look at how they were operating at the time, like what what this was doing historically, where it came out of, and just how aggressive it was at the time. God, it's an amazing film. I love female trouble so much. It's, I really love it. And like I said, I grew up watching Waters' movies and just sort of knowing him as a patron saint of my town. And Divine was just such a visible presence that sort of hung over a very specific type of art. In a way, I just I feel so grateful that this is recorded, that it was captured and that it did blow up enough that it's not just on a Super 8 tape in the basement of the house of uh, somebody's Uncle John who shot himself in the head at 35, you know? Yeah, and I mean, even now, there's sort of a dearth of queer art, queer rural art. And this isn't, you know, Baltimore isn't rural, obviously, but it is kind of some of the closest we get as far as preserved artistry of people who didn't all immediately run for the cities when they hit 18. Yeah, this is definitely working class art. This is row house living, steel mill town... You know, you can feel the Dundalk wafting off of this <laughs> in the Essex. For another thing, no matter what modern day John Waters may do, fucking David Lynch wishes. <laughs> wishes. Fucking get on his level, David. Trying That's my hot take 50s. for the day. Trying to play with the 50s aesthetic and and examine the perverse underbelly of it. Get on his level. <laughs> And if, you know, if you don't feel like female trouble is something that you can grapple with for whatever reason, maybe give Hairspray or Crybaby a chance instead. Crybaby, um, trigger warning for Johnny Depp. But, you know, I watched it when I was a kid, which was long, long, long ago. A baby. Before all the things. Yeah, he's like, God, what, 19 in that movie? Something like that. 
barely older than, than when a bed ate him. And it's very good and sweet. And these two teenagers enjoy kink together and have the least sexy makeouts ever put to film. And I love it for that. They're adorable. Yeah, fuck. Watch some John Waters. Remember the... You, you listen to this podcast. Remember the king of filth. All right. Well, that wraps us up for this time. Thank you so much for listening, one and all. If you enjoyed this, you can find more of our stuff by searching for Trash and Treasures on your podcatcher of choice. You can also send us emails. We're trashandtreasurespod at gmail.com, and we love getting mail. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash trashandtreasures, where you can find bonus episodes and recipe guides for the stuff we drink on good on Drunk Book Club. And we are on social media. We're on Tumblr, Trash and Treasures Pod, and we are on Twitter at TrashPod. I want to give a shout out to at Bebop Bullfrog, who gave an extremely sweet recommendation of the podcast and apparently listened to it on some long road trips. So we're glad we were able to keep you company. Ugh. Y- y'all don't know me because you haven't seen me, but whenever I hear something like that, I literally do the thing where I press my hand to my heart. She's doing it now. It is the cutest thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. <laughs> So for week three, we will be jumping forward to new queer cinema with a Greg Araki film. We haven't quite decided which one yet. We'll get back to you on that. It can be a surprise. Yeah, we're just kind of juggling Yeah, which which disturbing content we want to talk about. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rest assured, there will be content warnings. All right. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Happy Pride. See y'all. Thank you.